welcome back to the Kick-Ass Life Project and part two of the Fuck It episodes. If you haven't listened to part one, it's pretty much a non-negotiable for making sense of this episode. I just couldn't fit it all into one 30-minute podcast, and we're dealing with a topic that might feel best if taken in smaller doses. So I suggested in part one that if you need a break between these episodes, please take it. And as with part one, if you need to stop, pause, regulate, or just skip this episode altogether, go for it. I actually put a punny episode in between the two fuck it ones just as a mental break. It's it's nothing but a bunch of bad puns, but if you need that, go ahead and, and listen, take that break. This because this episode is about heavy things like like the first fuck it episode, it's about trauma-informed fitness. So I will be talking about the effects of trauma and abuse on the brain and the body as well as insights as to how fitness can help us heal. But remember, this podcast is not a replacement for professional help. So I might offer you suggestions and things like that, but if you need direct intervention, please reach out to your local emergency services, women's shelters, or professional mental health provider. And I can't believe I have said all that without saying, hi, I'm Kate, your kick-ass life enabler, your candy-loving personal trainer, abuse-surviving counsellor, and pleasure-without-shame proponent. In part one of Fuck It, I explained a bit about how F-U-K became the feature that it is on my website, and I talked about some of the ways trauma and abuse change us, why it's important to understand those changes, and some tidbits for, for reversing what doesn't serve us anymore. So I want to stress again that Whatever coping strategies you have employed in the past, they worked. You're here. Because that overriding, hijacking part of our brain that's responsible for keeping us physically alive, regardless of how it affects our mental health, it kicked in and it did its thing. So now the goal is to imagine, or imagine, examine if those same coping strategies that worked in the moment to get you through whatever you needed to get through are going to work for you long term. And often they aren't. We need to adjust. But for some of us, those coping strategies may have been developed even as children over a long period of time. They're well-worn thought paths within our brain. So like imagine a small, small rivulet of like water running down a rock and over time it, it creates this groove, right? So that it's just easier to go through that groove all the time rather than finding a new way. And it almost might even feel impossible for the water to divert and go a different way. Your thought patterns are exactly like that. So let's dive into the trauma-informed tidbits, again, all with the assumption that you have listened to part one. So first trauma-informed tidbit. Structures in your brain and your neural pathways are shaped by all of your experiences but especially emotionally charged ones like trauma and abuse. If trauma or abuse happens over time, it's like the water analogy I just gave. But if we experience an acute, meaning like one time or short term traumatic event, it's more like a lightning strike, just carving out a pathway in our brain. But regardless of how it occurs, this along with changes in how our nervous system operates after trauma or abuse, affects the way that our brain interprets the world 
and the thoughts that we have about the world. So another quick trauma-informed tidbit, I just sort of touched on it there, that our brains remember emotional things. They remember emotional things the most. It's not like you can't remember a non-emotional thing, but you are gonna remember an emotional thing. Good or bad emotional things, but especially the bad, because survival is the top priority. And if something is dangerous, we need to remember not only that thing, but every little detail about how we survived it. This is why trauma and abuse have such a lasting effect on our brains and our bodies. Our brains have evolved in specific ways, all with the goal of survival. So I want to remind you that a lot of the things I talk about are not things you need to wag your finger and berate yourself over. They are your brain doing what it was designed to do. And when we know more, we can do more. And you're here listening to this podcast, so you're going to hopefully know a little bit more. In a, in a way, um, it's like our, <laughs> our human brains with... these cool new features of cognition and awareness, it's like they haven't quite synced with the ancient technology that was installed in the very first humans. We have like two operating systems trying to work together, but speaking different languages. So I'm going to give you an example here. So I want you to think about, and, and this is an imaginary situation, so please try not to feel bad for this imaginary cat, but a cat might be treated badly by humans and as a result would begin to fear humans, avoid humans, react negatively towards humans, maybe learn to trust specific humans but be intolerant of unknown humans. And this all makes sense, right? But what a cat does not do is form a belief that it is unworthy of love and kindness, that it deserves to be treated this horrible way. It does not feel shame for the appearance of its mistreated body. It just survives as best it can and has distrustful thoughts towards humans, if you can even call them thoughts. But but we as humans have some updated software. And when we experience trauma and abuse, we do develop beliefs about what that means about us and about our lives. Now, I say all this to remind you that as I am going through some of these trauma-informed tidbits that might reveal things you recognize in yourself, none of it, not a single snippet of it, means that you are a bad person or wrong or have anything to feel shame or guilt over. Trauma and abuse happening to you are not who you are. The beliefs you develop around it, good or bad, are a product of communication between what we call the bottom brain and the top brain. Bottom brain being the first part of your brain that develops in the womb, and it comes pre-stocked with all the instinctual stuff. It comes pre-programmed to keep you alive, and it doesn't give a shit about your mental health. The top brain is the thinking part, the self-awareness part, where all the shoulds live. And it isn't even fully developed until we're in our 20s. (laughs) So for everyone, abuse, trauma or not, your brain has no physical access to the world other than the data it's getting onto its receptors, which are your senses. And abuse or trauma interfere with the interpretation of that data. 
And this is where my little saying of your brain lies, your body doesn't comes into play. It's actually more accurate to say your brain is misinterpreting the data it is receiving. It's also just a little squirrel side note really quickly. It's also worth mentioning that a brain in an abusive situation may have been lied to by someone else and maybe begun to believe those lies, which it's then repeating back to you. So what can we do? Spend time building a partnership with your body in the form of practicing physical movement. So remember, all of these ideas that I give you are fitness-based ones. So whether we are learning new skills for your mountain biking or seeing what you can achieve with your weightlifting during a workout or experimenting with stillness and relaxation, assuming we can approach it with curiosity and not judgment, these are ways that you can spend time building that partnership with your body. This is where a traditional fitness practice and diet culture lets us down. I highly recommend strength training as a resource for learning to communicate better with your body while building self-esteem and self-efficacy. And if you are not already strength training, you can join my Kick-Ass Life Project Mighty Network and I'll have some free starter strength workouts in there. If you're already strength training, you might want to check out my organic fitness. Um, there's a, a masterclass and a blueprint, again, free. So you can learn how to design your workout for your female body. Regardless, I am not suggesting you slam into a hardcore workout without guidance, but I believe in the power of strength training to overcome many of the effects of abuse and trauma. And, and here's a little bit more on why. Remember when I talked about the cat not forming beliefs, but we as humans do? Believing you have a choice is a good thing. Having the strength and courage to make a different choice is an incredible thing. Believing you deserve the right to make your choices and are capable of more than you were yesterday, that is truly priceless. And yes, what I call organic fitness, the way I've done fitness for most of my life, gave me that and was the foundation for finding strength in my own healing journey. Sorry, just meant glass water. <clears throat> Cough button. Okay. Maybe I needed that mental break too there. If I had been just blindly following a fitness program designed without regard to how a woman's body actually works and forcing myself to do the prescribed workouts on the prescribed days, no matter how I felt, I would have been training myself to accept one more thing without question and cementing the belief that I didn't have a choice. Organic fitness promotes tuning into your body each day to decide what will be the best for it on that day, regardless of what the program tells you to do. And I am passionate about this method of approaching fitness because at a time when I couldn't believe anything my brain told me, my body kept telling me the truth. If I listened, it told me exactly what I needed. It taught me that I was capable of more than I thought. It taught me to cooperate and respect it. It taught me how to set boundaries and when to be flexible with boundaries and when crossing the boundaries wasn't a good idea. It left me in awe and surprise every time I reached a new milestone. Milestones that had nothing to do with physical appearance 
and everything to do with ability. But to hear my body, I had to quiet my misinterpreting brain. I think we need some understanding of neural networks here. So here's another TIT part, the trauma-informed tidbits, or the tits. <laughs> I did not intentionally do that. I just, it makes me giggle. Uh, okay, our neural networks, they can become isolated and rigid after trauma or abuse, meaning they get cut off from different ideas or options. And even when possible new solutions are presented, it's like they're running up against a brick wall. This is all insanely simplified here, and I'm sure a neurobiologist would just cringe, but if, if you've ever seen pictures of your neural networks, they're, they're like almost like little balls with these little tentacle things reaching out, and they all sort of reach out towards each other and communicate. So they don't, the little tentacle parts, they don't actually touch each other. There's a little bit of space and electrical impulses. These are your thoughts patterns and things. These electrical impulses cross the synapses where those tentacle pieces kind of meet each other. And, and again, the more a certain thought pattern is used, the more that neural network path is taken, the stronger it becomes, just like that water rivulet, right? And then it gets harder and harder to change. But when we can start making new connections and things. The, these neural networks, they are designed to communicate with each other. And it is not a, um, it is not an accident that within my, um, my website, my journeys, everything I talk about journeys, adventures, exploring, and this, this is why the exploration stuff is so important. And I'm going to get onto that in a little bit more. Anyway, I want to try a quick experiment here with you if I can. So if you can say these things out loud, if you're in a place where others will believe you need to be given a really wide berth because you're talking to yourself, you can just say them em emphatically in your head. Okay, so this is the experiment. And again, out loud if you can, in your head if you can't. Think about snow, the color of snow. So this is the part I want you to say. Say the color of snow. I'm assuming you came up with white. The color of snow is white. Say that. The color of snow is white. Are you sure? How do you know the snow is white? Is it the same white as a cloud? Say to yourself that the color of the cloud is white. Is it the same white as a cotton ball? Say that the color of a cotton ball is white. What about the color of a polar bear? That's white too, isn't it? Say white. And it blends in with white snow, the polar bear, I mean. So say it with me. White, 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 white. What do cows drink? Okay, <laughs> there's a very good chance your brain said milk. And if it didn't, it's probably only because you've heard this experiment before and you worked really hard to shift the thought pattern to the correct answer of water. <laughs> Cows drink water. So why did your brain want to say milk so badly? Well, because of the neural networks and how they communicate with each other. They are meant to communicate with each other. But within the neural networks of your brain, there's one that stores the name of liquids that we drink. There's one that stores things that are white. 
I had primed the neural network responsible for the color white. It was fully charged and activated so that when you suddenly had to dive into the neural network of liquids we drink, the only answer that lived in both networks was milk. The two networks communicated. But when trauma and abuse happen, certain neural networks get cut off and isolated. The emotionally charged beliefs we form about what the trauma and the abuse says about us, the world, and our worth, the coping strategies that we use to survive, they feel so important to remember that our brain locks down the neural network holding that info. It's like it's in a high castle tower with brick walls and moats around it. Those neural networks not only stop communicating with the others, they become impermeable to new info that does try to come in. So those little tentacles, they stop receiving electrical impulses from the others. So back in my first episode, when I talked about someone with trauma or abuse having a really hard time accepting more positive beliefs about themselves, and I mean my very, very first podcast episode, there's a literal physical reason in the brain for someone who's experienced trauma or abuse to have trouble accepting new information, new, more positive beliefs about themselves. That's one reason why it can be so hard for someone who's affected by abuse or trauma to see a way out of their situation, to see a different possibility. Now, there's actually a ton of stuff I could go into here, but the bottom line is, for me, I had to try trusting my body instead of my brain. And when I did that, the negativity in my mind got quieter. And sometimes it felt like the only thing I had control over, the only thing I could trust. So what can we do with rigid neural networks? How do we start overcoming that obstacle? We get curious. And I got curious about what my body could do. Instead of, I can't do that, I looked at what I can do. Or if I can't do it that way yet, how can I do it now? I was literally training my brain to look for new ways to do something. I was training my brain to explore. So in a fitness way, this might look like, I'm going to use a push-up example, but it could be anything. It could be walking a certain distance or literally anything. So in a push-up analogy, it might be, I can't do a push-up from my toes, but can I do it from my knees? Can I do it with my hands on the coffee table or my hands on a wall even? Or it might be, I can't do 10 push-ups, but can I do five? Can I do two? And I, I want to, I'm afraid that I'm going to skip myself ahead here to a part that I've mentioned somewhere else, but I also want to just acknowledge that when you're going into this, and I think I am going to talk about this later, but when you're going into this, what can I do? It's really helpful if you can remove the judgment, <laughs> which I know is really hard to do. But if you can just sort of pretend that you actually have no clue how many you're supposed to do, or you actually have no clue how many you should be able to do or used to be able to do, and just literally go into it with total curiosity. Hmm, how many can I do? That's going to be huge. So this might sound sort of like a massive claim that a fitness system can help someone heal from abuse. But then again, is it? Because like I talked about in part one of the Fuck It series here, 
There are studies proving that building up your body is one of the most empowering, confidence-building tools any woman can experience. We know and are learning more all the time about how connected your body and mind really are. So organic fitness is the way I've practiced fitness most of my life, which doesn't mean it's right for you. But what is right for you? That's the important part. What organic fitness really does is adds another layer to fitness, which asks asks you to ask you to oh, asks you to tune into yourself in a non-threatening way and opens the door to further healing down the road. It literally teaches you how to reconnect with your body so that you're able to build trust again. Trust between you and your own body can be an incredibly powerful and healing thing. You are spending the rest of the life, the rest of your life with you. That bond between you and you with that relationship with yourself, there's nothing more important. But it's not just about learning to trust what you are capable of. It's learning to trust your inner voice. And most importantly, learning to trust that you can get stronger mentally and physically. I know that inner voice part probably resonated. That might be a, a big thing after trauma or abuse, abuse feeling like, can I really un, um, trust that inner voice? And I'm going to give you some ways to practice that with your body. I hear all the time from women that they just don't trust their body, that they feel their body is letting them down, that their body is betraying them. And how are you going to treat a body that feels like it's betraying you? You're going, how are you going to feel about a body that lets you down? Maybe your thoughts about your body aren't that surprising if we, could, if we consider all that. So I'm going to ask you something else, and I want you to remember what I said in the beginning about not punishing yourself for past behavior. Based on how you have been taught to approach fitness and nutrition, to not eat when you're hungry because you've had your allotted calories for the day, to not take five minutes to stretch because an intense HIIT workout will be more effective for your goals, to get up early for a workout despite not getting enough sleep because it's the only time you have and the program says to do it. Thinking about it that way, how many times would you say you have broken trust with your body? Like the other way around, your body not betraying you, but you betraying your body. When your body sends you a cue that it needs to stand up and stretch and sitting in this office desk for three hours is not feeling good, do you listen? When your body sends you a cue that it's running out of energy because you've been stressed, and yes, emotional energy uses physical calories, by the way, do you refuel it? When your body sends a signal that your hormones are shifting and it's okay to feel things more deeply, to focus inwards for a while, do you listen? When your body sends a signal that it's jazzed and pumps and wants to move, do you listen? When your body sends a signal that something is wrong, muscle cramps, missing periods, heavy periods, dry skin, headaches, I mean, these are just a couple of examples. All of these things could be minor or could be symptomatic of something bigger. But do you listen? Do you know what is normal for you and then notice when it changes? Do you investigate the changes or treat them like that check engine light and just hope they'll go away? I would lovingly suggest that trust is a two-way street 
and I'm going to be bold and say probably all of us are guilty of letting our body down to some degree. Is our body betraying us, or is it starting to scream louder at us when we have ignored subtler signals in the past? So what can we do? Understanding and self-compassion, removing judgment, so much I could say, and oh my gosh, the squirrel is strong here. <laughs> but I'm going to give you two fitnessy ways to start building trust with your body that I promised you earlier in this episode. Number one, only do the warm-up. If you're feeling like you should do a workout, or maybe you even want to do it, but you're just not finding the motivation to start, or maybe you aren't sure what's the best workout to do, just do the warm-up. Tell yourself you will commit to a five-ish, ten-ish minute warm-up, and then at the end of the warm-up, warm you will check in to see how your body is feeling. If you're still feeling low energy, great, you're done, or maybe you're happy to stretch. Feeling like you want to keep the energy flowing? Great, keep going. The key is, if you want to stop after the warm-up, you stop. No guilt, no pushing yourself into it and saying, well, I might as well because I'm already doing it. If you want to do it, do it. If your body doesn't want to do it, stop. Without the guilt, because that is the deal you made and you are honoring your body. And I promise you, if you keep proving that you can trust yourself with that, trust yourself to listen to what your body is telling you, you'll not only end up doing more fitness stuff, you'll enjoy it more and you'll probably get better results because of it. Number two, there is a style of training called fartlek. <laughs> I wish I knew why. <laughs> I should have looked it up. Anyway, it's when you do an entire workout, usually a cardio activity like jogging, swimming, biking, but it could be mountain climbers and jumping jacks or just dancing around the living room. But for the whole workout, you push hard when it feels good, you slow down when it feels right. The idea is to play with energy output in intervals, but you determine the intensity of each interval and how long it lasts all throughout the workout. And I love this way to rebuild trust with your body and to deepen communication by learning to feel the cues you are getting and then to honor them. And if that means you have a go hard interval for five seconds and then you want to slow it down, great. <laughs> and you want to slow it down for like five minutes before you feel like going hard again, great. There is no right and wrong with Bartlick. <laughs> Other than the name, the name's very wrong. Okay, so to recap the five trauma-informed fitness practices I have suggested for healing over these past two episodes. It's going to be really quick. Strength training to build confidence and belief. 3D breathing with some touch involved to build up the insula and the ability to feel into your body. Practice new physical skills to build up self-efficacy. Get curious and explore without judgment to build up new neural networks and open up possibilities. And five, honor your body's cues so that you can build up trust. Which one of these ideas feels appealing to you? 
please connect with me in the socials and share. I would really love to know if this has been helpful for you or if there's missing pieces that you'd like to hear more about. Is there something I skimmed over you thinking, whoa, where did that go? <laughs> so yeah, I would love to know that. And again, as always, if you can like, review, follow, whatever you do with this podcast, share it if you think someone else needs to hear it. That really helps other people to find it. So for now, we're at the end of this episode, and I want to remind you again that you are a marvel of kickassery because literally you have found a way to survive everything you've been through, and you're looking for ways to become the best possible you. What could possibly sum that up better than you're still on? Keep riding.